Al Jazeera podcast. The situation in Niger continues to simmer after the coup in July. But Niger's fate is not solely in the hands of its new military leaders. I tell you, we are ready to go anytime the order is given. The DD is also decided, which we are not going to disclose. That's Abdel Fatou Moussa, Commissioner for Peace and Security of ECOWAS, West Africa's regional bloc, the economic community of West African states. After meeting last week in Ghana, ECOWAS now has a majority of member states ready to take up arms to bring back civilian rule in Niger. Angered by Niger's coup leader's resistance, the group is now beating the drums of war. It has activated its standby force. Meanwhile, armed groups attacking from Niger's western border have not held back during the political turmoil, with deadly results. Breaking news from Niger, where at least 17 soldiers have been killed in an ambush. But even with a majority of its member states contributing to a standby force, ECOWAS is still pushing for a peaceful solution. So with potential peace or full-blown war hanging in the balance, what's next for Niger? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Adolphus Mawolo. I am a journalist and currently producer for Al Jazeera English, West and Central Africa Bureau based in Dakar, Senegal. I caught up with Adolphus in Senegal, one of the members of the West African bloc, as leaders convened in Ghana to discuss the coup. So, Adolphus, let's rewind. On July 26, the Presidential Guard launched a coup against President Mohamed Bazoum, locking him and his family in the Presidential Palace in Niger. Presidential Guards in Niger say they are holding President Mohamed Bazoum inside his palace in the capital, Niamey, a move the African Union has blasted. And since then, a lot has happened. Now, ECOWAS, which is the Economic Community of West African States, set a deadline on August 6th for the coup leaders to release and reinstate Bazoum. And that deadline came and went, and nothing happened. Now, I am talking to you during the first day of the ECOWAS summit in Ghana. What has happened so far? What are the highlights? The leaders of the armies of West Africa are meeting in Accra to take a definite position on the situation in Niger. This is coming after the meeting of uh, heads of state of ECOWAS in Abuja, Nigeria. And the meeting in particular in Ghana is also to think through about what is needed. So that's the latest update we know of. And speaking to sources who are participating in this meeting is that uh, military option is still on the table, but it's going to be the last on the table and can only happen if all diplomatic engagements fail, all back channel engagements, negotiations with the military junta. And I mean, the meeting in Accra is a show of force, uh, but it's also meant to threaten 
in the military junta in Niger that look, we have the power, we have the ability to intervene and get you out. So why not we do it simply, peacefully, and no one is injured, nothing significant happens to your country. So this is what ECOWAS is trying to show. And that's why ECOWAS is trying to engage as much as possible, having these public events, just to highlight to the military junta in the country that we have the means, if we can hand over power, we're coming to remove it by force. What about in Niger? What do we know about what coup leaders have been up to? The junta are trying to drum up support for themselves. They're trying to legitimize the coup that took place. What happened in Niger was an outright and is an outright uh, disrespect for constitutional order. Bazoum had been elected in 2021, less than three years, and he was removed by the military that cited uh, security problems in the country as the reason for overthrowing the former president. They have gone on to announce the prosecution of the detained president for hard treason. The spokesperson for the junta came on national television and gave an address saying that President Bazoum was going to be tried for treason, for undermining the country's internal and external security. I mean, they are making all these moves in a bait to tell ECOWAS that we are capable, we can thwart any attempt for you to invade this country. We have seen the military covertly organized uh, people in the streets of uh, Niger who are coming up to, to drum up support, to express support for the junta. <laughs> to indicate that, uh, I mean, the, 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 the coup that happened in the country is the best thing that ever happened for them. But which, of course, we know this is the tactics. This is what they do to make people believe that indeed there was a genuine and a good cause why the coup was led, and that is demonstrated. So this is what Johnson have been up to, organizing people, putting them on the streets to demonstrate that any military intervention would trigger their full support for the Nigerian army. And we know as of right now, the coup leaders have not responded or abided by ECOWAS's deadlines or demands. So what can ECOWAS do? What options are actually on the table? And does it have any power? ECOWAS's options are limited as always. There are two interventions or measures ECOWAS could take against any of its member states um, that refuse to fall in line with a mandate of this regional body. One is economic sanctions, two is military intervention. And military intervention would be rare orders had taken place through some sort of uh, diplomatic means or they exerted pressure and eventually those who seized power gave in and left peacefully without anyone being killed. But in the case of the current context in Niger, where the junta are refusing to hand over power and despite the economic sanctions imposed by ECOWAS, the last measure will be military intervention. The economic sanctions that have been imposed are beginning to bite and it will only be a matter of time before we see some internal chaos. On a national scale, the sanctions include the suspension of commercial financial transactions, preventing the military council from accessing Niger's assets in both domestic and foreign banks. Of course, it's getting a bit chaotic in there. 
when people do no longer have access to medical products, when people no longer have access to food and basic necessities, when people no longer have access to electricity over a long period of time, then that's when they are going to sit back and reflect on what's happening in their country. And perhaps they will now try to allocate some responsibilities to uh, some responsibility to the military junta for the wars that they are experiencing. But Adolphus warns that military intervention from ECOWAS is an option that will require a lot of time and thought and have major costs. Al Jazeera correspondent Ahmed Idris, who's been covering this story ever since the coup happened, has reported on the push and pull of military intervention talks. A source involved in mediation efforts to end the crisis says Niger's coup leaders want concessions to begin talks. But diplomats fear ceding grounds to the junta could further weaken the organization and encourage potential coup plotters in the region. Ahead of the decision to get almost all of the ECOWAS countries on board, there was hesitation by many countries to commit troops. Niger has over 20 million people and shares border with uh, at least seven countries. Benin, Mali, Burkina Faso, Libya, Algeria, Chad, Nigeria. These are seven countries, many of whom are already facing their own internal domestic problems. Some leaders, as much as they hate the coup, they detest the coup, intervening militarily in Israel will have to be calculated. Where is the funding coming from? How sustainable will any funding towards military intervention in Niger continue to come? And so all of these questions will have to be asked. The leaders of ECOWAS are fully aware of that. So they want to dialogue and talk as much as possible. And if that works, then there will be no need. The last option, which for me is not an option, is just giving up and allowing the military junta to do what they want to do and remain isolated as long as possible. Frida Kahlo was a master of self-portraits. Her uncompromising oil paintings, always deeply personal, dealt with identity, the human body, and death. It wasn't until after her own death that she was regarded as a revolutionary artist. In hindsight, it's easy to see how the two Fridas can be reconciled into one extraordinary woman. I'm Charles Dance. Follow me as I follow the life of Frida Kahlo in Al Jazeera's docudrama series, Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Adolphus, I want to talk about what we know about what's happening in Niger under these coup leaders. They had said they took over because Mohamed Bazoum failed to address instability and insecurity in Niger. It's been nearly four weeks since they took over. What do we know about how they've governed since then? And what are they doing about that insecurity that they talked about? because there have been attacks along the country's border with Mali. How have they handled that? What we are witnessing before our own eyes in Niger is chaos. The military cited insecurity as the primary reason for removing President Mohamed Bazoum from power. 
But it's important to state here that uh, before Bazoum was removed or arrested on 26 July, there had been a law in fighting. Even the, the soldiers themselves and everyone in the sub-region was surprised by the coup. Niger had been very quiet for months. So that's how calm the situation seemed in Niger until there was the military coup. Now, after this coup, there was an attack. The military leadership says that its troops were attacked by an armed group near the Tilaberi region. Since the junta took over, and in this attack, 17 soldiers, at least that's what we know officially, 17 soldiers were killed. And the same day as this attack, at least 31 civilians were killed in another location. So that tells you what's happening in Niger. The military is unable and will be unable to handle the security problem in the country. Correspondent Ahmed Idris points out that just like coups seem to be a trend in West Africa, so is growing instability under other countries' new coup leaders. If you look at Mali and Burkina Faso, despite the presence of mercenaries like Wagner on their territory, they still continue to face attacks from these armed groups allied to Al-Qaeda and ISIL that have been operating in that region for a long time. Adolphus agrees. The junta of Mali, the junta of Burkina Faso, cited the same very reason for removing the presidents, for removing the governments of those countries. But what we see is the escalation of the situation in those countries, right? Different armed groups are beginning to hold more territories than they had before the soldiers led coups. Adolphus says the proof is in Niger's coup leader's call for assistance to Wagner, the Russian mercenary group, as a show of force to ECOWAS. They feel that by declaring publicly that we are calling on the Russians to back us, we are calling on Wagner to help us, will make West African armies have a second thought. So that's what they've been up to, intimidating. They're vulnerable. They know that they're very vulnerable, but yet they want to intimidate, to put up a show that we are capable. You can do this to us. And the security situation keeps deteriorating since they took over. Where do you think all this leaves people in Niger who are living under the new coup leaders? Do we have any indication what their lives have been like? Life is really difficult for ordinary Nigerians. I tell you what, currently on the borders of Niger and Benin Republic, there are trucks stranded. Trucks that are transporting goods added to Niger or to Benin. These are private citizens. These are business people whose survival depends solely on the trade that they are engaged with. When you stall movements of goods between the countries, you are taking away the source of livelihood. You are disrupting or destroying the source of livelihoods for these people. Another example has been the power supply coming from Nigeria that's been cut off. As part of the ECOWAS sanctions designed to put pressure on the coup leaders, neighboring Nigeria stopped selling electricity to Niger. The country relied on this supply for 70% of its power needs. So imagine the families that were connected to this power line supplied by Nigeria that are no longer having access to electricity. 
they have to maybe use uh, generators, private generators, which might be costly in other regions for many families. So it is the ordinary Nigerians that are struggling because when there is uncertainty in the country, people cannot move on with their lives. Schools might not be in action, in session, right? A family head might be going out, but he might be worried. Would I be out when the military intervention starts, right? What will happen to the kids that I'm going to leave behind? I want to buy a car. I want to build a house. Should I do it now? There's uncertainty they can do, right? And so everyone is really suffering in that country. So the impact of the economic sanctions, the impact of the coup is far reaching. But this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we are likely going to see if these sanctions are going to stay in place for a very long time. Finally, Adolphus, Niger is hanging in the balance between coup leaders, armed groups at the border, and now potential military action from ECOWAS. What are the chances that civilian rule returns to Niger without violence? We really do not know when Niger is going to have a fully constituted civilian leadership. What I do not see happening now is the return to power of Mohamed Bazoum, which is what Ecos is pushing for. He's been delegitimized and his authority, I mean, he cannot exercise that authority that he had before the coup. The coup has really diminished his reputation, has reduced his stature, even if he was to come back and lead Niger. And that's why Equus is fighting, because it's also fighting for her survival. Increasingly, we're seeing coups happening, and the regional body is not taking that action that results in them handing over power. And so it is seen as, as losing its power. That's why it's trying to flex its muscle that uh, this is not going to stand. This coup is not going to hold. We have to reverse this to make a statement. The junta will lead as they wish. They will hand over power when they want. I believe strongly it's not going to be echoes detecting the times fully as to what happens in Niger. They have not succeeded in doing it in Guinea. They have not succeeded in doing it in Burkina Faso. They have not succeeded in doing it in Mali. I don't believe they will succeed in doing it in Niger. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee and Sonia Bagat, with Zaina Bezer, Veronisa Campana, David Enders, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Khaled Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>